0: Hey, wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 529 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Alex Steed. If you are a listener to, for example, You Are Good or you're wrong about, then you probably already have a working knowledge of the fantastic human being that is Alex Steed. Also, the partner of Carolyn Kendrick, who I had a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I loved its conversation. Listen, I'm not saying anything new here. Uh, I feel like I say that on every intro, but... Gosh, I think Alex is fantastic. So we really enjoyed our conversation. I'm go ahead and assume that Alex did. I'm going to speak on his behalf in this moment. He was a wonderful boy of summer, and uh, I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, yes, I did survive the Southern California hurricane and earthquake. Did not feel the earthquake. Definitely feeling the results of the rain from the hurricane but at the end of the day listen i'm not going to launch into all the things that are happening in all places of the world but all i can say is i feel still very grateful to be where i am and sending lots of love to any of you who have been more deeply affected by latest weather events and beyond all right enjoy this episode with alex (laughs) <laughs> How are you friend? I haven't seen your face in 1 minute to 2 minutes. It's crazy.
1: I'm glad we're doing this because it inspired me to reach out to your husband for coffee. So <laughs> Nice. Oh,
0: excellent. I'm glad we're doing
1: this for many reasons, but I, know, I, I'm, I I'm glad I'm glad to see your face and I will be glad to see his face soon.
0: I have certainly exploited uh, my podcast and podcast appearances in general to nurture friendships that Otherwise, especially with people traveling so much and just the kind of unpredictability of today's working world. Um, Yeah, for uh, real. Yeah, it's it's goofy.
1: When we started You Are Good. I think like we got like five episodes in before I realized that I was like, I just want this to be people I want to be friends with. Like, I just like want this 100%. whole opportunity to be to like hang with people 100%. we want to be friends with. Yeah. And then so it's all working, I guess.
0: It is all working. And I think, you know, I, I was just having a conversation. um, with someone <laughs> on a podcast because that's <laughs> friendships um, about that, like just sort of being a person who enjoys having like not it's not it, the, the the sort of most cynical point of view, which we all make fun of is this idea of like nothing is worth existing unless it's getting recorded or like going sure. out to the public. Um, but I think it's like on a real true level, it's less that and more just like I like a game night. I like something totally. organized. I like going to a s- certain dinner with people in a certain gr- like, opposed to just like I guess I'll go to my neighborhood bar and see what happens. Like I yeah. sort of like a structure un- around friendship, you know? No,
1: for sure. I absolutely and I yeah, I think like usually what people are complaining about when they complain about that is they're upset that literally everything has been monetized. And I uh, right. and I am fully on board. Like I wish someone just gave me you know, a hundred grand a year and then said, do whatever you want to do. And I would, and I'm sure the structure of everything would shift slightly or whatever. And that would be great. But I think that that's the primary complaint when people are complaining about that. And like, I honestly love knowing that at least once a week, I'm going to have a conversation that will refresh my point of view in some way or like Absolutely. I'll learn about people or like be able to be vulnerable. And like th- that's kind of the, sh- the space we intentionally created, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm awesome. all for it. And I wish I could do that with more things, but I can't. I'm just organized.
0: <laughs> Oh, are you disorganized as a producer that? Yeah,
1: I'm organized on everyone else's behalf professionally. Understood. And I find it very easy to show up for me last
0: Uh uh-huh yep has that always been true do you feel like that's a reflection yeah for sure
1: it's like my I joke that at least for me and I I think increasingly the more people I I know who do whatever um uh, for me I I've just monetized my trauma response to my childhood and (laughs) and which was like which was being the jester slash organizer in a codependent structured household you know so
0: jester slash organizer is that's like two jobs.
1: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the jester is for survival and yeah. the, the um the organizer is because no one else. Well, if no one else so is going to do it, who's going to do it? Two
0: survivals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two right. survivals. Yeah, are, you, are you an only child or do you?
1: I am an only of my mother's. Got it. And I am my father's fifth. I'm okay. my father's only child. That might be wrong. I might be my father's sixth. I for some reason I don't know how. I don't know. Well, I let's get going, him in he here. Like, Hello. Yeah, totally. could you? If, if he was here, it would be crazy considering his death. So I would. Well, my I mom's would, also here. Let's bring him up. Really,
0: this is going to be really fun. They become close. I would, I'm
1: so glad that you've mastered the art of of however you made that possible. Yes. I'm my mother's only child. I was raised essentially as an only child. All of my siblings were like a generation older. So they were like aunt aged and one uncle aged who was just kind of never around. Yeah. And then I was young and able-bodied and flexibly employed when my father was like kind of sick and I was young. So I ended up kind of just like taking care of him. Plus he just needed, you know, he was like a very much a man of a of a certain time, still of this time a little bit where he just like needed everyone around him to take care of him. And I think like silently, didn't consciously expect that, but certainly put everyone in a, in a situation where they had to, you know, do that.
0: Right, right everyone includes your half siblings and your mom or yeah for okay. sure
1: i think like everyone he encountered there was an expectation yeah. that it was like um take care of me or get out um and and not again not consciously and and i have great both sympathy and empathy for for him and understanding kind of like how he got to that place but like yeah i think like he was a i think for a long time it was presented and this is the thing i've had to reconcile as i've gotten older is I used to think that like he was like salty and no nonsense and really that was like kind of a form of policing every interaction you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like as he was like he he certainly didn't suffer fools um but also he didn't really suffer anyone who wasn't um in service of his expectation (laughs) (laughs) and so so I've I've over time like I did that whole thing where I I was in my 30s. Someone asked this question on Twitter the other day or whatever it's called now. Someone asked this question um, about like, and they're younger. They were like, do you eventually get over this phase where you have a bunch of friends who like pretend to like you, but they don't actually like you or what? And I thought Mm -hmm. so much about like friendships in your 30s. And people talk about how that's like a difficult thing or whatever. But I think like throughout a lot of my 30s, I realized that a lot of my friendships from my 20s were over because I think that I was like, I have no time for bullshit. Like it's, you're, it's you, you know, let's, let's not do small talk. Like all that kind of stuff where you think that like you're speaking to like some kind of truth and cutting out people who don't make any sense for you or whatever. And then I realized that I was just kind of, I think maybe, internalizing a lot of the stuff that he did that I thought was like toughness and it turns out it was just like emotional cowardice.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, God, there's so many things you touched on that um, I wanna try and cover. Number one, it is shocking to me how fast my mind quickly flashed in and out when you said you had a lot of sympathy and empathy for him. How quickly I thought of William H. Macy in Pleasantville going, Oh, sure, where's sure. my dinner?
1: Sure, <laughs> like, sure, yes.
0: I'm sure the movie is complicated. I haven't watched it in many years, but I saw it um, in
1: the theater. I yeah, randomly I mean, I remember I definitely
0: yeah. did too. and <laughs> And I think there was the sense of, like, wow, that's really like it did a decent job of kind of doing the sort of like they were a product of their times. Like, you can't sort of do like behave this way with a person. And give them that message their whole life. And then at a totally. certain point in their life, be like, what's wrong with you? da 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 Simple as that. Right. Imagine if someone foisted that on you. Like, we all like to think that we're, you know, super evolved. Totally. But it, there could be a thing that if tomorrow some someone was like, wait a minute, you didn't know that. And I always use this as an example because it's a, a, a source of tremendous guilt and confusion for me. The idea of like... 50 years from now, people being like, can you believe that people just stepped over people who are like dying of fentanyl? Oh, on the street? sure, like, sure, sure. Just the idea yeah. of like, th- like, no, 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 2020, the 2020 people were monsters. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. were garbage people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like, yeah. because we look back and we're like, ew, people totally. were enslaved. I can't believe they did it. Ew, never- no, the I just Germans. Assume- ew, we would never. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think
1: you just have to assume, excuse me, this is a thing that I have assumed and recognize that I think I've gotten to a point of like actually comfortably and not just like rhetorically or philosophically embracing that you're wrong. Like, yeah. your, you, like, your take, especially any comfortable takes, is incorrect. And it has nothing to do with your character, necessarily. And it has nothing to do with, like, who you are fundamentally as a person. But, like, you received bad information from other very well-intended people who received bad information before them. And then every time it, like, settles into a thing where you're like, I think I finally got it, you certainly don't. And, yeah. and that's cool. Like, I think that that's, like if you can, if you can embrace that and not just like live in abject terror, that's fine. And a lot of that on my end probably comes from, I don't know what's like, again, I don't, everything's wrong. I don't know what's a good or bad place anymore, but like I have dabbled in and out of uh, like Zen Buddhist perspectives and practice uh, over time. And, and the understanding has always been at least within those places that if you, any level of comfort comes from some either collective external or individual internal deception. And so you kind of like constantly have to be ready to adjust that in some way and assume that you are going to be embarrassed or humbled or whatever on, on quite a regular basis. And and that's ideal, actually, because if you are, that means that you're still vulnerable enough to understand that there are places for improvement.
0: Absolutely. And, and yet at the same time, we can see how some that is terrifying to yeah. someone who looks at it and immediately jumps to, like, a societal level and is like, well, For somebody sure. has to know what's going on or otherwise chaos. And, you know, sort of you totally. see all of the complicated conversations about that and where the fear lives and where the sort of, you know, pushing back lives. And, um, yeah, and, and yeah, I feel the exact same way and I always, I, I feel like that's kind of the tap dance of my, of, like, this decade of my life is... <laughs> trying to allow for the possibility that i'm wrong about everything all the time but still have some fundamental like respect for myself and humankind and yes. move forward in a way that doing the best you can doesn't feel like a cop out. Totally. Do you know what i mean? Totally. And you're right. so right about like the that that era of time when you sort of tell yourself like you know, like like that, the era of, that you're talking about, about kind of cutting people out. And I mean, that's something that still, it's, it feels less pervasive than it did even like five years ago. But the whole conversation around like, well, if someone's toxic, yeah. like, and, and that sort of gets thrown oh, around in Absolutely. this way that feels very dangerous to me, because, because if we are afraid and, and, and vulnerable human beings, like, when do you know that you're totally. right about that versus there's something in you that's like resistant to communication or yeah, like definitely. all of that is just such a mind fuck.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think like kind of necessarily particularly in your th- I would say like from like your quote, you know, Saturn return, you're like 28 to 29 through 40 is an inherently tumultuous time because You got to adulthood, then you spent the next decade more or less like, you know, kind of living off of like kind of a forward propulsive inertia of like everything you had been to that point. And I'm not saying by any means you're coasting. A lot of people do this very intelligently and very sort of consciously. But in my case. I was like, well, I got to adulthood. Now everything is just like that plus responsibility, like everything right. that I was to that point plus responsibility. If you kind of focus on or pay attention to the shifts that come later and sort of like the things that they speak to, it's extremely and extraordinarily tumultuous because it's a it's a constant reexamination of relationships. It's a constant reexamination of self. It's a constant all of these different things. And inherently... You know, unless you're just fine with going, like, I'll just stay this way, and I'm just going to sort of dig in and stay this way. And a lot of people are fine with that. I mean, I think, like, you know, like, January 6th, among many other things, was a bunch of people being like, I want to stay this way, you know what I mean? Like, or <laughs> I want to I live under the illusion that we can be a particular way all the time. And then there's obviously hate and a bunch of other stuff involved there. Unless you're sort of embedded in staying that way, you will find yourself living in discordance and you will find yourself questioning a lot of your, a lot of your friendships, a lot of your relationships, again, your relationship with self. And that will, you know, I think for a long time, I was like, all these people who I thought were my friends or all these people I thought were my peers are like, you know, their values are actually kind of fucked up. Like they spend time just sort of talking shit about the same people all the time or they kind of have the same conversations all the time. In my case, I cut myself out of a lot of that. And then I realized that I was like, well, I was there too. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like... (laughs) It didn't just, it it wasn't something that lived extremely external to me. So then, so then you realize that it's not just a matter of dealing with all these external things. It's actually a matter of sort of recalibrating the internal thing. So like, really, if you're, if you're 27, buckle up, because shit's about to get <laughs> <Yeah>. real. <laughs>
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, there's nothing that feels temporarily better than being like, I've realized I will lift myself out of this environment and give myself a pat on the back, you know? Totally, totally. So, okay, so let's put your teenage years in context. Where were you a teenage human?
1: I was um, in I was living in Cornish, Maine, which then was a town of about 1,200 people, and now maybe is a town of 1,400 people. And okay. uh, I went to a I went to a, a high school called Socopy Valley High School, which was a district high school. So there were five towns represented. There were the building, because the school was so small, housed 8th through 12th grade. So I always thought the high school was 8th through 12th grade, which it is yeah. not. And there were, I think at most, like 420, 430 students. In 8th through 12th grade in this town.
0: Oh, okay. So it was it was wee. And it was very weird. yes. Is that a, like, you know, when I think about, it's funny because it's springing off of the idea of th- people wanting things to stay the same and thinking about some of the places I've lived that have kind of like, you know, given into the sprawl, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, when you say that a town started at, you know, 1200 yeah. and may have accumulated 200 more, is that because it's kind of geographically isolated? Is it because it mm. sort of wants to be that way and sort of, like, assigns itself that, you know?
1: It's, like, just far... And so a lot of this changed in, in 2018 when, like, all housing values changed kind of at once. Like, there yeah. was, you know, I think... I, you. I think a lot of people might not realize that what happened in 2018 is actually kind of like a rare thing where like every house everywhere with very few exceptions essentially doubled in value. And often what happens is like houses in a particular area go up a particular value and then houses in another area because of like proximity to work, etc. So yeah. before that, the situation was just that Cornish was just a hair too far from the, the quote city, which is Portland, Mm -hmm. um, for people to be able to go and establish their lives there. And then, you know, for it to be like, essentially like a bedroom community, it it, it was too, a little too far.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then when that, you know, that happened with the, the values, I think it became more in play because the percentage you know because the values of homes like in the greater portland area did go up but then the percentage of uh, uh the percentage the percentage on the homes went up out in the cornish area too but then people were like well it's still the last most affordable thing so I'll drive an extra 15 minutes in order to get into work got it it doesn't have growth aspirations like i don't think until the 90s when i was in school it was still kind of on the last legs of being a 20th century agricultural center mm. not center but a place that made its its money off of being a 20th century sort of agricultural economy yeah and when i say that i mean like you could you know you could have a family farm and actually be competitive and then Mm -hmm. kind of all that stuff went out the window obviously there's still like farms and farmers markets and cute little people you know making you know homemade pesto for 18 dollars a jar at their house you know like there's still that sort of thing but like you know, family farm as institution is no longer really there in the same way that it was. It's it. You know, a lot of the farms that I grew up around are now some other thing or some other mm-hmm. business or like an Airbnb, a pastoral you know place to a go place to go
0: get married. And exactly, it's like a very twenty
1: first century agricultural right. thing, which is agriculture is like eleventh on the list of ten things that um are are they're focused on.
0: Yeah. So as uh as a kid there. Did you have that sort of sense of oh my god I'm in such a small place? Oh yeah, I was. What in am hell. I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, for
1: sure. <laughs> okay. I was like um I so I my parents moved there because my aunt lived lived there. My parents moved there from Malden, Massachusetts, which is like a suburb of Boston mm-hmm. when I was 5. Um my parents got divorced when I was 12 and uh I moved with my mom down to the Boston area for like a year and then I ended up moving back and kind of living with my dad and uh, when I was from 13 on in this the same place that I grew up in because I thought that I wanted to get out of there really badly but like the sort of the situation with my parents wasn't great the situation at the school of being like a new kid in an absentee sort of situation wasn't fantastic. So I ended up going back to Maine, but I felt like, you know, if I I had like, I had like a lot of lovely friendships and I knew a lot of uh, nice people. And I was fortunate to have some, some, you know, to eco some good relationships with teachers and stuff like that. But I truly felt like my entire existence should be devoted to not being defined by the place I grew up in because, mm. I felt like the people I knew who that was really important to to like sort of like be from and of the town and represent the values of it in ways that I can kind of appreciate better now and sort of deconstruct in a more meaningful way. I appreciate, but at that time I was just like it feels like death. Uh-huh.
0: You know? Yeah. What
1: do you like? There's, a, you there's said- a there's a there's a line there's a, sorry to, I'm so sorry no, to no. interrupt but there's there's a line in a Silver Jews song um, uh, called Tennessee in which you know, David Berman is imagining leaving Louisville where he was before to go to Tennessee, which he he did, he and Cassie Berman did, and, and she sings in the song as well. And he's there's a line where he says, You know, Louisville is death. And like mm. I I that line was so resonant to how I felt my entire childhood was it was like you were um you were living among the dead and you need to escape in some way.
0: That's heavy. That's really heavy. So when you say that you can appreciate it now in a more deconstructed way, can you give a couple of examples or even an example of kind of what you mean by like appreciating it?
1: Well, it just didn't strike me that I love teenagers generally, and I, I do a lot of... I have historically done a lot of work with teens, in, in volu- both like volunteer and professional capacity. And there's so many great things about them, but one thing that they typically lack that comes later is is an appreciation for nuance. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't strike me at the time that different people would love that area for different reasons. I just thought that they all loved it because you know the area said, here are the reasons you would love this area because of this, this, and this. The people who... And specifically that those values were upheld by the kinds of guys that would like threaten to kick the shit out of you every day, you know, while like showing off their trucks and like, you know, like a very stereotypical, like 90s idea of a rural bully. I went to high school with a lot of those guys and they, they presented the values of like lo- this these Jason Aldine values of like loving the small town you can do and do whatever you want and get away with whatever you want and and you could if you were a particular sort of person who proclaimed pr- specific sorts of allegiances to mm-hmm. rural lifestyle aesthetic et cetera it, more than anything it prided itself on not being curious or vulnerable or interested mm-hmm. and and increasingly I know people who I grew up with and went to school with who were very sensitive very lovely people who like have gone. back to the area just because they value the, um, community or they value sort of the, um, the proximity to, to being able to see stars in the sky or like they have all of these different reasons. And I'm sure people had those different reasons then. I just couldn't see them because I was terrified of the people who symbolize loving the town.
0: Of course, of course. So where are you finding that feeling of being seen or feeling known in some way?
1: I'm finding it online. I like when I was 11 years old in the sixth grade, I might've been 10 or 11. I can't remember. My teacher came in and like brought in her own computer and like hooked it up to a phone line and showed us that like essentially the Internet was a thing. Wow! And I remember I felt like that class was only for me. Like, I felt like it was like one of those things where it's like, I think I might be the only person in the class. Like, I think that this lesson is for me. Yeah, It felt so promising. And then my, my uncle was a computer programmer. And so whenever we would like visit him, I was like, can I do that thing that my teacher showed me? And he was like, have at it. I have no idea what you're doing. It's fine. <laughs> and I would go online and I would find the, um, my, my first and sort of most hardcore internet community starting from just these visits to my uncle's house to logging on was, was Kevin Smith's message boards for the view askew productions um, website. So like Kevin Smith, the film director, his, he had a, he had a website for his production company. The production company had message boards. And like, I was like, I like those movies. This is where I want to meet people. And then when I was like 14 and aunt um, had set aside some money for me for college and I just spent it on a computer. And Uh I and I got a computer in my family's laundry room and just spent every waking hour trying to meet new people and learn what the world outside of uh, high school was like.
0: I mean, yeah, that's definitely early adoption. Uh, That that is that's that's impressive. And it's it's interesting just coming from a place of like for you to have that exposure in a place that would not necessarily seem to offer it as early as it did feels like kismet almost like seems like it could have you know gone unknown to you and oh for real
1: no i i mean i remember the like i went to some student thing for sophomores and there was one sophomore for every high school in maine at this thing and i remember we all like some of us walked around to get email addresses of other people and there were seven people of all of the sophomores sent from maine who had email addresses so like this yeah. was like a very early time for the commercial internet like everyone right, every right. time you talk about it being early someone will always be like well we had a bbs service in 1987 right. in my dorm and it's like that's great right. fucking bill nye but like we're not that's what <laughs> now we're talking about but the, um yeah. it was like a very early time for sort of like commercial adoption and so um yeah, that's like where I learned. Every, I mean, I remember going onto message boards and being like, I love whatever the most popular mainstream metal band was at that time. And, and people would be like, well, that's cool. But like, here are all of their influences. And so, yeah, that, that, so like that kind of reverse engineering the universe from all of the signifiers that were immediately in front of me and then learning that those were built on entire universes and foundations. Um Felt extremely promising.
0: I was going to say that's a very hopeful experience. Like looking backwards is can truly be such a hopeful experience. Thinking forwards, um, yeah. and it can be the reverse as well. For and sure, be super disheartening. But um, <laughs> did you feel then, like you know, I mean, this conversation comes up a lot, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But when you are really enjoying the internet as a resource outside of an environment that doesn't feel particularly healthy or particularly encouraging, at least mm. not with with your peer groups. Um, do, did you feel like it was harder to be exposed to some of the like negative, like the places where people are now like, well, all my bullies live on the internet. You oh, sure, I mean? sure, sure, sure. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, I don't know. It didn't there was certainly some places where I would end up online where there was like in like real intense like gatekeepery behaviors or or almost like yeah just kind of its own form of bullying or its own own form of like you're not cool enough to be here and. Uh, I just felt so spoiled by the embarrassment of riches of community that there existed for possibility that I was like, well, OK, if this if it's not working on this one place, I'll just go to some other place. Like this is right. a grand alternative to what's in front of me every day in my, quote, in real life time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I uh, w- what I didn't foresee, I guess, is the fact that we would be we would eventually become cursed with being online all the time and that it would never be a thing where you would go over here and then, you know. Uh, go into your laundry room your mildewy smell you know laundry room boot up the computer it would be you know six minutes from putting the on button on to the computer getting up and ready to like dialing up to like whatever it it, it never struck me that there would be a point where everyone would be online because for me it was such a sanctuary away Mm. from everyone
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have, in, in terms of your personal relationships when you were in high school, um, did you still have, sounds like there were some folks that you could kind of relate mm. to. I mean, were you dating? Was there, was any of that feeling like it was oh, close yeah. enough at hand?
1: Yeah. I, I, everything, I re- I realized this only recently that like everything, I just couldn't do anything in my school. I couldn't, I, but it was weird. I was like strangely involved from a student level. I, I, um, was always on student council and like sold as like a representative from student council, sold food at like basketball games and like, and like was the president of our class for a couple of years. Like, I, I was. I was involved in a way that i can't quite understand in retrospect um because come my senior year uh my my father was increasingly in and out of being sick throughout my high school time Mm. and that kind of impacted um uh impact or influence like what how present i was able to be at school i think a lot of the time and i i skipped so many years of my senior year that it's actually through like forging notes that I had to like do X, Y, or Z for like with my, with my father and this stuff that I don't even know how I graduated from high school. Like I, I was like at once extremely involved in a lot of ways and then not involved at all in, in other ways. And that manifested with, you know, my first serious girlfriend was a girl from a school 30 miles away who I would go to the mall and like hang out at the mall by way of finding out which of my friend's parents had some responsibility out in Portland that they needed to drive to and getting a ride with my friend's parents who would drop me off at the mall in an open-ended way. And I'd be like, well, I guess I'll just find my way back. Um, And often I'd like, as a teenager would like stay at like older mall employees houses so that really? like i could yeah it was fucking wild oh my god but, like, that's
0: crazy so
1: my social ecosystem became the mall and i ended up dating this woman uh she was a girl i thought, i don't know the terminology like she, oh, she was, was 16 so i was 15
0: amazing if you just dumped on me that she was like I 32 just... and like managed the Victoria's secret I'm, like,
1: i did have like so many age- inappropriate relationships when i was a teenager but the, um um oh god yeah but my first like this is my girlfriend like we're gonna Like go to a prom together. Yeah, she was 60 and I was fifteen. She worked at pretzel time. Amazing. She was a cheerleader, she worked at pretzel time.
0: I just shout out to any business that just (laughs) does the thing that it sells, along with telling you it's time for that thing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's pretzel time. It's wrestle so, time. If you want to so smell like and salt and artificial butter, uh that's what time it is.
0: What about candle time? Well, then it's <laughs> yeah. time for you to go buy a candle. Pay attention. Keep it's up so everybody. Good. It's so good. It's Wait, so, so good. you cannot drop that nugget. What, oh god, yeah, I had so many like
1: I had they were like a lot of them just started online and then and then mm-hmm. I was never like I ne- it just never because I so because I was raised by my father who was a generation older than other parents of mine, he, you know, and, and I describe our relationship. Like I just lived with an old man who would, who would yell a lot. Like that's Mm -hmm. basically kind of like what our relationship was because we had kind of the negative, like codependent stuff that I I touched on earlier, but also he just like was too old to be an attentive parent. And so often I was like, I was kind of like half a feral kid. And so it never struck me, you know, if I was having some whatever flirtation turned more than flirtation with someone online, where if I found out they lived in Boston, I'd be like, well, I'll take a bus and like, we'll just like be together here and there. Um, yeah. And so that happened with a student uh, at one of the, the, the Boston colleges. I, I had a, a relationship that... um was extremely uh in in retrospect ill-advised but i i don't think it was like predatory by any means on the on the part of the person i think she was going through some stuff but with like i was 15 and she was 21 or 22 and like there was like that kind of thing and i i took a bus to go see her where she was at um yeah there was so much and then there was a lot of like uh i don't know like my in in so many ways like I Carolyn and I just started rewatching only season two of Friday Night Lights for no reason whatsoever, no. Um because it's the worst one and it's entertaining <laughs> and how bad it is. And like I, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll talk with people about that and people will be like, "Oh, the dramas of those kids are seemingly so inflated." And I'm like, "I'm like, nah. I was always, I was always like a teenage boy who had inappropriate relationships with older, wow. <laughs> like that for so and t- for for a while. I think like until I was." I think until I was 21, I there would often be a situation in which I had at least one foot in a relationship that was certainly, um, if not age inappropriate, it was inappropriate for what I was able to actually bring to that relationship.
0: Well, and it, it, there's something, I mean, that's really interesting because it seems like, you know, you were acting out on this desire like those rep- those relationships seem like they represent open doors to yeah, the future for sure. like oh, they just easy. represent like wait what if i could just what if i could just be in the future now like totally. wh- like why why can't well, i took- feel like that I'm, I'm i'm that age and why can't no, i, I move around the country as if i'm that age and what you know
1: it took so long and i think i have I have great empathy for people who are just like still learning because I think we all should be still learning or whatever, but it took, you know, to the point of what you just said, I think so many of my relationships with people, I certainly like enjoyed the person I like loved the, whatever, like I would sometimes like fall in love with the person. And this just goes even for friends. Like I, I loved Mm -hmm. the friend or whatever. And I certainly like saw them as like a fully three dimensional person but there was a thing set in me, young, from like I need to get the fuck out of here, that yeah. saw everything it, subconsciously in the back of my mind. Every 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 uh, opportunity, every job, every sort of relationship with a person or whatever, was certainly played some role again subconsciously in i need to get the fuck out of here
0: absolutely and, and it's, like this and it's could a be total the way both and it's t- <laughs> yeah. total both and. like it's it, we can't pretend like the people that we love dearly are not part of a context like that's just not totally. really how we exist in this space and dimension as we understand it at this point like yeah absolutely you
1: know? i think that that's i think that that's right on and i and i often feel like i'm like I think if I ever get the impulse to think like, what was this person's like motivations? Like, it doesn't seem like they were sort of like fully as whatever into it on the front end or, or coming from the place that they said they were or whatever. Often if I then switch that around to go like, what were my motivations? I can't usually consciously identify what they were, which means that like something else might've been going on as well. So I, I, I do think that, um, um, you know, I do think that, like, part of, like, growing older or maturing is starting to form a conscious relationship with what your motivations are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I guess I'm, I, the one thing I want to ask, too, is, like, within this knowledge and desire to not be where you were and to know that there was more out there and to start exploring that stuff, did you have a sense of who, like, professional future Alex was going (laughs) to be or that wasn't yeah so it wasn't like you were like I know I'm gonna become a doctor and go to da 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 or like I'm gonna be a a creative writer who travels the world and writes about my life yeah
1: no I didn't so again this is one of those things that I came into late and I and I don't know when people typically come into it but because so much of me was defined by I need to get the fuck out of here um, and not like I need to become a person. Like, I think like I had assumed that whoever I was, was who I was. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, me and that person need to move forward and, and find opportunities or whatever. And, and so, so much of my, um, life at that point was defined by what I was doing in service. Like almost like I was disembodied in the, like the person who I was was kind of like in the backseat and I'm like bringing that person along and kind of doing stuff for that person. And, and so, so I thought that like travel was incredibly important because like people that the people I was talking about earlier who I wanted to like, not be like, didn't believe, didn't put value in travel or curiosity or whatever. So travel became important, but it became like kind of important, only because it was not the other thing right you know in so many again so much of getting into my 30s and now I'm over my 30s, I'm 40 now, but so much of my 30s was going, okay, how much of what I was doing in my 20s was a reflexive response to, you know, was like running away from something or running towards something? Yeah. You know, how much of it was in service of response versus how much of it was in service of like actually figuring out who and what I am? Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I knew like at 12, I wanted to be a director of films which replaced my design Desire to be a special effects like the guy who made sort of like goopy latex you know yeah. splatter special effects in <laughs> movies and then after that it was like just like I think I vaguely wanted to be a writer because I knew the writers who I knew um, were professionally curious broadly about things that weren't just like immediately in front of them. Yeah. Um, but I think that like really what I was indicating was I want to be professionally curious.
0: Yeah. I also love that you had like, the, and uh, again, I'm, I'm sure I'm like reading too much into this accidentally while not planning on reading into it at all. Um, <laughs> it's the best that... way to read into things. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, is that you had this affection for Kevin Smith, who seems very accessible in the sense that here he is like a legit you know indie got his own you know take on things um director who's also making himself accessible to young people Mm -hmm. not sort of like closing the door behind him and yet is also kind of known for making movies about places where not that much is going on and i think that's there's something so lovely about that like you weren't like I look up to Ridley Scott, this sort right. of like godlike, who right. is, even is this person? The movies that he's making are art form. You know, it's, it's art. It may not be completely accessible or understandable, but that's what's appealing about it or, or Kubrick or someone like that. Totally. And, to, and to feel that affinity towards someone who's like, hey, yeah, I wrote what I know. It's yeah. not that interesting, but well, I made it, was, it interesting. Like, come along I with me. I feel like
1: like growing up in the '90s was handy because they there was that like blip that was sort of seen as a as, as a celebrated. Uh, you know, there was like there was what was called like '90s indie indie cinema, and there were a lot of conversations about what was possible in movies where so like the 70s independent movie thing as as you well know is like it happened because of a flux in power at studios and then the 90s one was the kinds of people who would make a movie whether or not it was guaranteed distribution would just make it and then they would find these avenues for distribution unfortunately the the biggest champions of those those avenues for distribution were you know giant bullies and and worse in in the form of the Weinstein's yeah. that was so meaningful to me because of exactly what you just said, like you could see creators who were who were artists, but they were not inaccessible in their lifestyle or literally inaccessible i when yeah. I was fifteen years old. I I don't know why I got so into there was like a a series of tornadoes that happened in the southwest and I I was like I gotta raise funds for this at my school and so I walked around it with a bucket and just had everyone give their money for I wouldn't let go of the bucket for a week and everyone put money in the bucket and I think we raised like five hundred dollars and I called Kevin Smith's office and was like hey i'm like on your message boards i just r- am raising this money for this thing will you guys match it and kevin smith matched the money oh, so like that's it, so great. it was like it was like one thing to go from being like these people are are resonant um with like my experience one way or another, like the, the whole, the, the myth or maybe truth, I don't know, is that he he funded clerks on $27,000 of, of credit cards and that felt real impossible. But yeah. then also like, he was like literally for a blip and for a second, like an actual figure in my life. Like yeah. I had a check from him that went to this, um, that went to, or, or you know, money money was given from his office for this thing that I was doing. And so it yeah. made them real in a way.
0: God, that goes, a, yeah, it really goes a long way towards connecting you with possibilities. Um, something like that can just completely change your conversation with, and again, the, the internet, it completely can change your conversation with what's oh possible. My
1: well, I had, I had friends who were, you know, who were advocates for like creating a small, a small business community or like a startup community or whatever in Maine. And like people could do X, Y, or Z. And like, you could start a business, you could start a business in Maine and sort of like, make it, make it big and live in Maine, whatever. They like had this like entrepreneur mindset and all that shit, you know, and they would want to talk to kids at school about this and get them thinking that way or whatever. And I was like, uh, I remember one friend in particular, I was like, your dad ran a hospital. Like you have to understand, like you you saw that that was possible young i grew up in a town where the big business was like your dad had forestry equipment and like you guys would like clear clear stuff or like a or like a big business was you own two sandwich shops like that's that's what i knew and it wasn't until I started to identify later with these these artists who were kind of making big things with 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 very very small amounts of resources that I understood that any of that was potentially even possible for someone uh, like me.
0: Absolutely, and the last thing I want to say before I get into this uh, mash game is um, at, at the risk of being you know just totally wrong and off. You are self-aware in the that wonderful Buddhist sense of like you know talking about how unself-aware you are. Um, and at the end of the day, you know if you had had one age quote inappropriate um, thing going on <laughs> with a, with an older woman when you were when you were that young, uh, I would maybe write it off and be like, oh yeah, maybe she was sort of underdeveloped in some way. But, right, right, right. You know we all understand the cliches about how much women emotionally develop before uh, sure. young straight men do or young queer men who sure, don't sure. know they're queer, or, you know, however, or do know, or what, however you want to think about that. But in a very conventional, like, do not, you know, pass code, do not collect $200, like, very, like, these are the rules, boys mature slower right. than girls. Um, it, it, for all of that, like, I feel like you, there was something going on there that was, like, very emotionally mature and available because, like... You were sort of having the experience that many young women that age were having for better or for worse, which was that they were looking past their peer groups going, I need more. I need something that feels more, you know, connected or something that feels someone who feels like they've gotten a little further in their own emotional life development. And so... You know, uh, there you you were there was you were developing early emotionally, (laughs) you know, even as you're then talking about being in your 20s and, you know, running towards or or away from something like there was stuff going on where these women, these young women felt Mm. like heard or seen or listened to or or known in some way by this more, you know, more of a kiddo than.
1: Yeah. Whereas like
0: someone that's your peer you know a 14 year old girl would be looking at that 16 year old totally. boy being like ugh grow yeah. up well i like... think i
1: think like a common denominator in a lot of those relationships is those the the people who they had just been with um mm. were were not great yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so and i just i just rewatched the little You're mermaid you were
0: a healing balm
1: yeah yeah i think i think i was trying and I, I just watched the little mermaid which you know is ultimately about um uh about a young girl who's trying to flee uh her very oppressive father (laughs) yeah and so i think often often like when you meet when you when you're at a particular age and you meet other you meet people who uh you don't always see the person you see someone who represents an alternative to what you're used to and you're like "Eh, I'll, i'll see what this is all about
0: okay we're gonna take a break i will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at maximum fun The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is
1: great hair. The Brit with a permit to hit. Lindsay Kel.
0: The Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. And the fast talking, fist clocking, Hal Upland.
1: See, I can wrestle and be an announcer.
0: Get ready for tights and fights. Listen every Saturday or face the pain. Find us on Maximum Fun. Now ring the bell. I'm Emily Heller. And I'm Lisa Hannah Walt. And we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses. We've been doing our podcast for over 10 years. When we started, it was about trying to learn something new every episode. Now it's about us trying to actively get stupider. And it's working. <laughs> Hang out with us and you'll hear us chat about gardening, horses, various problems with our butts, and all the weird stuff that makes us horny. That's so weird, all that stuff. <laughs> Baby Geniuses, a for adult idiots every other week on maximum fun. I need to do the smash game with you. I've I've let it. I, I mean, listen, I'm trying to try not to take too long with this, but um, <laughs> I tried to start earlier, but I knew I would want to talk to you for 11 D hours. So <laughs> as expected.
1: I'm glad that it worked. As out. As
0: expected. <laughs> well, let's start because of You Are Good. Let's start out with our three movies that you can jump into and just be in that world with those characters without having to relive the plot step by
1: step. OK, Clerks great in honor of our conversation so far yeah dazed and confused great it, this, this is very of a time I'm realizing I've, as I say this third one Friday this oh is my like god great two years in the 90s we're talking I about. know
0: no kidding had you thought had you put that together until you no. realized you were saying that? no and going like, no no, no. Oh, well I guess I just, <laughs> I'm significance seeing here. my 12
1: year old self watching all of those movies and being like hell yeah <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely okay great to that end let's do three artists of any kind, musical, uh, you know, fine arts, filmmaking, writing from any age, any era, alive or dead, that you get to in this kind of magical world where time is not a thing, uh, okay. collaborate with on something.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. I will say um, uh, Keith Haring. Great. Um, uh, who who do I want to choose here? Oh, uh, Leonora Carrington. Who I, I love so much and think about a whole lot. And then uh, maybe thematically in the Keith Haring department, let's say Jean Michel Basquiat.
0: I just realized like, I really have the sort of like can't separate the lens of anyone Emma Thompson who's has ever played <laughs> immediately. I'm like, I love Carrington. Oh I love her so much. And then I was like, oh. I think like eighty percent of that for me is just my knowledge of of that artist through Hell yeah, <laughs> Thompson's you know, sometimes depiction. Sometimes that her. happens.
1: Ah. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. I think in, that
1: about Diego Rivera who I can't oh, remember who portrayed absolutely. Rivera in The Cradle Will Rock but they did yeah. such a good job that I just think of that portrayal yeah. and not the fact that like Rivera was like difficult
0: oh yeah one, so, so that's funny because I think of it as Alfred Molina in oh, Frida yeah, totally which best, like yeah. I go to that place I'm like I mean I do listen I do love Alfred Molina <laughs> like, yeah, Janet yeah, yeah. remove yeah. yourself for one second that's the influence yeah. that's the influence cut it's to lies. like you know Emma's playing like it's just someone horrible and I'm like they had a point
1: <laughs> they did they, they did. had a point it's fine
0: Oh uh, yeah yeah okay next one let's do three bands or singer-songwriters or composers that create a soundtrack for your life kind of spontaneously as it's unfolding in the moment there's just mm. this music that accompanies these moments in your life they're like, well, that's perfect.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with um, bands in particular that I was listening to at that time. Right. that I I feel like can paint this. So one, and I had a hockey jersey also with their emblem on the front of it. White Zombie. Great. That's one person I'm gonna pick. Shout out to Rob, Robbie B, Robbie Z. I don't know where B came from.
0: (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful person. Wonderful person. Wonderful. Love a Rob and a Sherry. They used absolutely. to be a big part of my life, so I have. Oh nothing my god! But, like, I love enjoy the, for them
1: beyond all else. Icons of hair, hair icons. Yeah, absolutely, both of them forever more. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, uh, White Zombie, um, Led Zeppelin, great, uh, and uh, the, this uh, this uh, pop punk band from the eighties, Screeching Weasel. Oh. <laughs> amazing good time okay
0: all right uh next one let's do three places in the world that we will give you a, another home to teleport to
1: oh wow um i really like i was uh I've, I've been to london a couple of times and been taken by how much i enjoyed london Gosh, me too, me too. Uh, love london uh chicago Really like, really like Chicago a lot. I do too. Uh, it's a great, it's a great place. Um, and where else will be another place I've been to professionally a number of times for funny reasons over over the years is Portugal. So I'll say that.
0: Oh, I've never been to Portugal. I would love to go to Portugal.
1: It's a good time.
0: Yeah. That's definitely like a, well, why don't I already know Portuguese? And will yes. I ever know Portuguese? And I'm not expecting myself to, but I hope to surprise myself and like really follow up that You language. will make I it I think happen. it's the most beautiful language. Yes. Ugh, oh, okay.
1: It's great. It's a good spot.
0: Okay. Wonderful. All right. Next one all due respect to carolyn this mm. is a mash game i will need some romantic partners or sexy times partners sure. for longevity or brief in this alternate universe characters real people fake people living people dead people whatever you want
1: so go, again going with the time i would say heather graham Great. uh straight uh r- roller girl from boogie nights
0: yeah that was a uh,
1: yeah um uh Oh, what? Who is her? Who is a? Uh, who plays Amber Waves in that? The um. Oh, Julianne uh, Moore. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Yeah, I'll take Julianne Moore as well. And then I will say a, uh, a a young Joaquin Phoenix.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: From those days.
0: I'm so glad he still doesn't go by Leaf.
1: Yeah, he did the right thing.
0: You did the right thing. Okay, Uh next one. Let's do three alternate universe careers, and you know we're we're giving you the highlights out of what you have to deal with the slog, unless you oh. want to deal with the slog because it makes the highlights better. In totally. which case, great, you get it all.
1: I'll take the special effects makeup guy.
0: Yes, please. I was I get really live hoping that out. I would come back.
1: <laughs> I get to live that out. That's. Excellent. I think there's a
0: universe in which I do that too. I freaking love special effects. Oh my
1: god, another so another like. I a person was fake and then they were real was um, a friend of mine worked with the special effects makeup god tom savini on a job and then just was like hey tom can my friend who's 15 from maine just call you at your house and he was like yeah and then i just called tom savini and he just talked at me for 20 minutes about all the movies he'd, he'd done <laughs> that's um, so cool tremendous so okay so special effects guy like my hero tom savini let's right. see a, a head of hr I feel like is a job that I would be weirdly good at. And then um writer for the WWE.
0: Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> that really is a moment where you're like that moment where you're like, oh, there's writers.
1: Yeah. Oh, they're there's doing.
0: writers. Oh, there's storytellers. I just oh, read a crap. book by
1: one of their by one of their head writers and it <gasps> was um uh, not good. <laughs>
0: I was about to ask if you would recommend it. So thank no. you.
1: There's a lot of books by wrestlers about wrestling, about that whole yeah. universe that I would happily recommend. And I yeah. was surprised to find that one oh, written by one of their no. head writers was not. A book I'd read it up. Uh, oh no, no, no. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Have you ever done Tights and Fights? The um there's a Max Fun uh there's a no. great Max Fun podcast about uh wrestling no. that my producer Julian produces and one of my dear dear friends Hal Lublin, co-hosts with two I, other phenomenal. That's women.
1: great to, I came into pro wrestling like history at thirty-nine. Yeah, yeah. And am does obsessed. not matter.
0: Yeah. Oh my god, you've got to do it. I, I'll I'll connect you with it. I, I don't really follow wrestling, but I did enough um and would do anything with those guys and, and i had such an amazing time just like dipping good in. to know thank okay, you second to last category let's do three uh things that you guys have not covered on your wrong about um but they can either be on the roster but you don't have to reveal that i guess um or just like stuff that you have a suspicion you don't know enough about like my w- one of my things for that is like uh, there's still a lot I need to unlock about the Berlin wall. I just, oh, sure. I know that there is like stacks of things that I'm going to fascinatedly read at some point about the rule. So, you know what I mean? So totally. some yeah. not necessarily you're wrong about, but like essentially stuff that would fit kind of into that category. Of yeah. Like, so oh, five things, so, yeah. uh, um,
1: three things okay so one is the wonderland murders which oh. is kind of spoken to in boogie nights my favorite movie from my teenage that i should probably know more about um one it would be a, a contra i feel like i think there might be uh i think there might be a are about, about this i still don't know
0: good oh there are there, there already is <laughs>
1: yeah, and i just don't know what is going on Frank. um um and then okay. the the third let's see um I know a thing that people request often because they really liked Sarah and Carolyn's uh, take of Karen Carpenter and mm. and of of uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. A, a lot of people request. I, I this is a request I'm very much on the side of is a Mama Cass uh, uh, episode. Was,
0: I, that's exactly who I thought you would say after. And I
1: would, that. yeah, that's that's one that gets requested often. She's someone who I'm happy to see. She has like such a fascinating role in the like Manson murder stuff that mm-hmm. is like p- covered pretty extensively in, in You Must Remember This. Yeah. Um, she shows up in the Tarantino movie. Um, I, I I feel like the culture is like getting closer to giving mm-hmm. her some some three-dimensional attention. So There's yeah, a
0: great book called Laurel Canyon. Uh, that's Ooh. a that's a nonfiction book that um I, I listen to the audiobook because I consume a tremendous amount of audiobooks, traveling mm-hmm. and stuff. Highly recommend definitely she is a central figure in that Great. as well as this connector who yes. introduced all of these different musicians to each other and like fostered like i bet you two would love to totally. play together and then they become these like iconic bands so i yeah. could not agree more i, I cannot wait for that that conversation to hopefully happen okay and then final category let's do three foods that you can have with zero consequences to yourself or the environment or anyone animals Ooh. you name it uh snap of your fingers and uh it's not the only thing you're eating i can just Conjure it for you whenever you feel like it.
1: Sure. I will take uh fish and chips, which is a Great. just look at me. Um <laughs> I look like a, a doughy Scottish guy. Um <laughs> so that's one of them. Um uh God. Like meatloaf that I grew up on specifically because I grew up on it. I don't know why meatloaf was always such a was always such a delight. And then fried chicken.
0: No sweet tooth happening in these uh, I in these am
1: a, I'm a crazy sweet I like I went to my friend Eve's last night and she had just like had a game night and just had bags and bags of of gummy stuff uh-huh. and it was the most dangerous environment I've ever <laughs> been in. <laughs> I'm like i overwhelmingly a sweet tooth but like if it's like if it's stuff that I feel like you know, I for some reason also I feel as I get older, it's those it's those savory, heavy mm-hmm. treats are the ones that do me in. No,
0: I am too. This is you really picked some good stick to your ribs stuff that uh, yeah, that absolutely. I heartily appreciate. That some of which feels like, wait, are we in the middle of winter in Scotland right now? What's <laughs> yeah. It uh, felt very real all of a sudden. Okay, uh, give me a word that you feel helps describe, um, like listening to a really great song.
1: Oh, wow. Um, Understood.
0: Great. Okay. I I am going to. It absolutely does. Uh, I am going to come up with this 100% guaranteed alternate universe smash life future reality um, if you would like to guide people towards things you're excited about are a part of are not a part of whatever you want this is your vamp time that can also be <laughs> excised from the podcast uh, if you don't feel like saying anything and we will come back as if no time has passed
1: okay cool so uh, right now I'm talking about I'm just saying things that I think people would be interested in I would love for you dear listener to check out you are good a feeling podcast about movies. Uh, That's where Sarah Marshall and I talk about movies. And uh, really, at the end of the day, we talk about it as a means of getting to the bottom of our feelings. Uh, Because if I were to tell you we're going to talk about our feelings, you wouldn't listen.
0: Yes, 100%. Also, of course, as you mentioned, Sarah has been on the podcast. And there is threat of me eventually being on you are good.
1: Yeah, you're gonna be on. You are Which good by the like, end of this f- year. It's I absolutely gonna happen. I fear that it will
0: be like a five hour episode because I will not let you. I'm, we will just like crack something open that the three of us will be like, well,
1: <laughs> I'm all for it. That was a day. Totally. Uh, all, we knew. I mean, I like. I uh, I feel like you're you're very much one of our people. Meaning. Um, it's potentially dangerous for us all to get
0: that's how, together. That's how I feel about everything I'm involved with and, and you guys. So I'm, it's very flattering that the feeling is mutual.
1: Oh my God, it's the okay. truth.
0: All right, I'm almost done. Give me one second.
1: People, you might not know that uh, Jan and I met on a boat. We knew about each other beforehand, but we yes. were on the Joko cruise. We met there. And um, I would say... If uh if you're gonna be stuck on a boat with anybody, Janet is a good person to be stuck on a boat with. As and are I, you. <laughs> we had so many, so many, great folks uh to hang with. We had Open Mike Eagle, which was great, and uh Video Dave, and um uh Mark Evan Jackson, who is a real treat to get to know that yeah. dude, who like is like like almost his the way he occupies media is you're like is there a person behind that yes. or is it it's almost like Phil hartman where like people yeah. who knew Phil Hartman was like, I don't yeah. think that there was a person behind it. Like I think right. that it was just right. all right. what he was doing out front and then it was hard to know inside. Right. I kind of got that feel from, from Mark from the outside and then you meet him and you're like, wow, there's like a such a sweet oh man behind, a behind all this. Kitten.
0: He's a, he is a little kitten. a kitten. kitten. I have known him <laughs> since before any of that had cracked open for him and he and i very few people other than thrilling adventure hour fans knew uh, who he was and it has been
1: my god
0: very interesting to see the way all of that has sort of blossomed outward from this person that i'm like oh my
1: god because he he gained like sizable recognition at like 50 Right, like it's like, and yeah. it, it wasn't not yeah. working before that, but was yeah. just yeah, yeah, it was yeah. was being appreciated by smaller pockets of people. Yes, you know, and and then you know, you'd see him in in sketch things that got traction, and then and then he was you know, then he was the person everyone knew from network yeah. television. Really fascinating. Yeah.
0: Stuff. yeah, it's 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 wonderful. But yes, he. I feel like oh, your he, social oh, circle of people that you're funny
1: that. with are are lovely people.
0: Oh, they're great. Yeah, I could I That's, yeah, that's the thing that Hollywood taught me early, which was, like, coming down with zero positive expectations, but knowing I had friends who had come down here who I thought were geniuses, whether they were working or not, and Mm. finding, like, you know, it's, like, it's so sad when I have to be reminded of, like, the complete bullshit, sad shit that happens here that is absolutely part of the business, because it's very easy to sort of, like, Put blinders on and then just see a bunch of people who are like wonderful and creative sure. and warm and vulnerable and great and um, it's a it's a city of many faces. My goodness, is it? A it really of is. Faces.
1: It really is. Yeah, I, I think people are often surprised, and I think I think like part of the nature of of my work, which is like manager and and guy who makes podcasts and shows up on podcasts sometimes, m- makes. I have like a little more freedom in my interactions and stuff with people. But like, I think people are often surprised by the fact that like, I only for the most part, and I'm a male, I need to underscore in this business, but like, I only have lovely interactions with people. And if I don't, I stop having interactions with them. Like that's kind of like what defines this, my time in this space as a person who's 40. Um, And It's a place where, like, if that is your rule, you can sort of be around a bunch of lovely people a lot of the time, not 100% of the time. But, like, I think people often find when I first came here in 2007, 2008, I was ready to hate it because I was from New England and was. uh, shocked. Yeah. At how many yeah. absolutely like lovely wholesome interactions I had with people here. It was yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's like when people are like, "Ugh, LA, it's so supervi- superficial." I'm like, "Oh, that LA." Oh, yeah, yeah. 100% sure. yes. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 superficial LA. Yes, yes. yes. Terrible. Yes. But then these LAs.
1: Definitely. Um, exactly.
0: Okay, I have your Mash future. Um very excited about it. Feeling pretty good about it. I'm just going to go ahead and start by plunking down a beautiful home for you. You got a house uh, in Portugal. Oh, great. I cannot wait to come visit and just (laughs) do some immersion learning of the Portuguese (laughs) language with the Portuguese people. Um, No offense, all due respect to Brazil, but where I've always felt drawn is Portugal. Mm. When we speak of uh, when we speak of Portuguese, of course. Um, OK, I also want to congratulate you on your ability to pop into Dazed and Confused whenever That's you ribbons. want with all those characters. That's the one I would be most excited about, just from a personal standpoint. Um, I, for no other reason than just like the feeling that I get from that movie. Mm-hmm. is just a like it's just that that's the feeling i would pick not even like the characters but just like the feeling um so it's very amorphous choice but very excited that you got that um i feel like some of those characters uh whether they're like directly familiar with it or not would still be very excited that you're a writer for wwe i just think (laughs) that that is something that is like very very cool um I don't know how that fits in with your uh, collaboration with Basquiat. Oh, wow. But that is a whole other avenue that you're going to be able to explore artistically and creatively. That's wonderful. Very excited about that. All of this can be enjoyed with some delicious fried chicken on the side with zero ramifications to yourself or anyone. So feel free to dig into that. Sounds like you're going to be very busy, so you're probably going to have a a pretty good appetite. Um, (laughs) Excited for you to better understand the Iran-Contra scandal, whether that does or does not involve the show you produce and the information that may or may not have been distributed from that. You will understand, uh, have a deeper understanding of it. You are accompanied by all of uh, through all of this by uh, a soundtrack from none other than Screeching Weasel.
1: Oh, great! So that's happening. I'm glad that's where we landed.
0: And uh, and you have uh, ended up with the delightful Heather Graham, circa oh. roller girl era. I, 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 you know, she's she's gonna roll with all of this. She's gonna roll with all of this. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say roll. That's. Gross. I'm glad you did. But I'm well, glad you that's, did. That's an example of the brain just following the thing. Like, that's basically the example of when you find yourself unconsciously saying things like, and I was totally blind to it to a blind person. And then you're like, oh God. And they're
1: like, oh no. And, oh, and every no. person
0: does that and they're like, why would I say that? And the blind person is like, because I'm blind. Oh, and my. your brain is processing that information
1: <laughs> poorly.
0: And you're using all the metaphors you shouldn't for that exact reason. Um, Okay, so I feel great about this. I hope that you are also excited about it. It is a damn fine MASH world. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you in real life, maybe with some sort of a, a game or catching of someone else's show or something like that. That sounds um, fantastic. Maybe and I can have play a book that? to give you because you supported the JV Club in that little it. window when I was like just offering various things. And you get to you get a Korra book that you get. To maybe
1: we can uh, maybe we can play the Monopoly card game with Dante and Alice. Yeah. I would. I need I need emotional Those support sharks. to get through that. Those <laughs>
0: Parks. Oh, it makes me so angry! How good at that they are. Those greedy... I love it, and they're and they're
1: always dressed like like um, they're always dressed like a villain couple from um uh, from what's the Don Johnson cop show from the eighties?
0: <laughs> Miami Vice. They're always dressed like a they villain are... couple from Miami Vice. They're which always is about to jump on a speedboat and drive away with like a safe.
1: <laughs> they're like the hottest monopoly money they're the hottest monopoly sharks i've ever met oh my
0: god and they're married now they got married i think i love that
1: so much yeah, it's so nice. yeah.
0: I, that makes me very happy uh totally in we will make this happen and uh please give my love to your wonderful partner who was oh so recently on the podcast and who yeah. i decided to crack apart And create a gulf of (laughs) Boys of Summer so that she could be on in the summer. I will invite you to sing any snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer that you may or may not know or a snippet of any other song that speaks summer to you.
1: Into it. I'm into it. Thank you so much for having me. No,
0: you have to do it right now.
1: Oh, I don't know the I don't know the sorry, sorry. I don't know the lyrics to Boys of Summer.
0: You don't have to. Is there a song that you think of that's kind of like a summer song for you?
1: I could just come up let me just come up with what I think the Please. lyrics to Boys of Summer Please. are.
0: Please, even better. That has been done and we're at some of my most cherished moments on the
1: You're podcast. looking at the boys. They're the boys of summer over there under the sun. I d I don't know these words to the boys of summer. Thanks for thanks for letting me do that.
0: You're looking at him. Uh, all right, everybody. I will talk to you next time on the podcast. Bye. <laughs> the show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is "Back Before We Were Brittle" by the amazing Say Hi.
1: Number One We could save kittens from trees.
0: Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.